Our next reading is going to come from the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 32. We're going to read verses 1 through 15, and then we'll read verses 36 through 44. Our reading from Jeremiah, chapter 32, verses 1 through 15, and then 36 through 44. You can find this in your own personal Bible, uh, or in your pew Bible in front of you, or also printed in the order of worship. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. The prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah had confined him. Zedekiah said, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. King Zedekiah of, Jeru- of Judah shall not escape the hands of the Chaldean, but shall surely be given to the hands of the king of Babylon, and shall spe- speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I attend to him, says the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Jeremiah says, the word of the Lord came to me. Hamiel, the son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is in Anatuth, for the right of redemption my purchase is yours. Then my cousin Hamiel came to, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is in Anatuth, in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anatuth from my cousin Hamiel and weighed out the money for him. Seventeen shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neri, the son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hamiel, in the presence of witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Then continuing to verse 36. Now therefore says the Lord God, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it is being given into the hands of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. See, I'm going to gather them from all the lands which I drove them in my anger and in my wrath and my great indignation. I will bring them back to this place, and I will settle them in safety. Then shall they be my people, and I will be their, their God. I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me for all time, for their own good, for the good of their children after them. I will make of them an everlasting covenant to never draw back from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts, that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness, with my heart, with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon my people, so will I bring upon them all the good fortune that I now promised them. Fields shall be bought in this land, which you are saying is a desolation, without human beings or animals. It has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Fields shall be bought for money. Indeed, shall be signed and sealed and witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, the cities of Judea, and all the hill country, and the Shephelah, and the Negev. And I will restore their fortunes, says the Lord. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As y'all know, I'm a big fan of science fiction, of Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings and things such as that. But another one of my favorite um, science fiction shows is uh, one you may or may not be familiar with. I've always loved Doctor Who. I don't know. And, you know, Doctor Who, for some of you, that was that really cheesy and corny British show that came on PBS uh, on Saturday nights with really bad sci-fi and really bad, uh, uh, you know, really bad uh, graphics and, and all that type stuff. And it's, it's corny and it's cheesy, and I love it. I, I just I love Doctor Who. I love the old ones with Tom Baker. I love the new ones. It's just, it's, we watch it as a family together. It's just, it's just a great TV show. Love Doctor Who. I've actually got Holly watching it. She didn't like any of that stuff. So it's a great show. Now, here's the thing. I, I mean, I mean, describe a plot to one of the episodes, but I can't explain what's actually happening because A, it's too complicated, and B, if you say it out loud, you sound like you're crazy. So here's what you need to know. In this episode, the doctor, he is in prison, and basically he's stuck in a time loop. What happens is he gets transported to this prison, and he runs from this bad guy who's going to kill him. And he gets away from the entire episode. And finally, after he gets away from the bad guy, he comes to this giant wall that's made of pure diamond. So he's running for the bad guy. He finds this giant wall made of diamonds and he punches it. Boom. Then the bad guy kills him. But suddenly, it's a time loop. He starts back over again. So he runs from the bad guy. Ah, finds the wall of diamond, punches it. Boom. Bad guy finds him, kills him. Over and over and over and over for two billion years, two billion times, he does the same thing. And two billion times, he punches the wall. Boom. Ah, he screams. The bad guy kills him. Over and over and over and over. Not a single one of those punches did anything but bloody up his fist. Not a single one did a thing. But after two billion times, that last punch, when he punched it, it broke through the wall. He was free. No one punch did it. Two billion punches. The combined effort, the combined impact of those two billion punches times over and over and over and over and each one when brought together went through a wall of diamond and gained him his freedom took every one of those two billion punches for two billion years to set him free no one punch did it the combined effort did it today's text is a text that i've been wrestling with for a long time it's such an interesting text What's happening in this is Jeremiah is a prophet. And if you've been following our, our Rooted in Christ um, readings these last few weeks, we've talked about the prophets. And, and you have to understand that, remember, in the Old Testament, a prophet, we hear prophet and we think future teller. We think a prophet's going to tell you who's going to win next year's Super Bowl. That's not what prophets are in the Old Testament. I mean, there is a futuristic element to them. We see Jeremiah speak of the future. We see Isaiah point to the birth of Christ. We see prophets speak to what's going to happen in the future. But that really isn't 
the job of a prophet. The job of a prophet is to speak the word of God that God has in that moment. And if you often see the prophets, their primary concern is not speaking towards a future thing, but their primary concern is speaking towards what is happening in that moment. And that's what's happened in Jeremiah. We start off with a story, the scene, and Jeremiah's in prison. Well, why is he in prison? It says he is imprisoned in the court of the king, the guard of the king. He's in prison. He can't get out. He has some freedom because we see him get a visitor, but he's in prison. Well, why is he in prison? This is why he's in prison. Judah, the southern kingdom, is at war with Babylon. Babylon's the big bad bully of the area. They're the big country. They're conquering everything. They're taking over. And now Babylon, led by Nebuchadnezzar, is coming to Israel. Like they're coming to Judah. They're, they're going to attack Judah. And, and, and Babylon's huge. They're the biggest country in that part of the world. And Judah is a pretty small country. It's not that big. So here comes big bad Babylon coming into town. They're going to conquer everything. And the king says, we got this, guys. Chill. I don't, know if, I don't know if it's actually chill in Hebrew or not, but that's what he says. We got this. Chill. We got this. This is what Jeremiah says. No, we don't. The king says we're going to win. He's lying to you. We're not going to win. Babylon's fixed to clean our clock. They're going to capture us. They're going to destroy everything. They're actually going to take the king into captivity. They're going to take our young men, our leaders, the best of us. They're going to take these folks, and they're going to haul them off to Babylon's well. And it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. And the king's telling you it's going to be fine, but it's not going to be fine. It's going to be really, really bad. Jeremiah wrote two books, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophecy, his, his book of prophet, his prophetic book, and then he wrote the book of Lamentations. He's often called the weeping prophet because his writings are painful. Lamentations is exactly what it says it is. It's painful. He's telling them what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. Well, shockingly, the king does not like this message. Hard to believe. So what's the king do? The king puts him in prison and forbids him from speaking the words that God's placed upon him. So that's where we pick up. So there's, there, there's Jeremiah in prison. Jeremiah in prison. King's got him there. And then it says, this, but see, see, he has some freedom because it says his cousin, Hamiel, comes to him. And it says, hey, you, there's some land that you can buy. And I want you to buy it from me. I think I've shared with you before. The Jewish people were the first Southerners because... Where you're from matters to them. Who's your mom in them matters to them. And then where's your land at matters to them. For the Jewish people, keeping their land in the family was of utmost importance. So if you have land that you're going to sell, you're obligated by the law and by the customs to first offer that land to your nearest relative. So for Hamiel, Jeremiah was his closest relative because they want to keep the land in the family. So Hamiel goes to Jeremiah and says, hey, hey, I want you to buy this land from me. Now, listen, I'm no realtor. I don't understand all that. But Jeremiah just said, we're fixing to get whooped. And it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. And now you're wanting me to buy land from you when we're fixing to get whooped? 
have you lost your mind? I'm not buying this field from you in the midst of all this. That's what I would have said. That's crazy. Why would I buy this field from you when Babylon's fixing to blow our doors open, kill us all, and take a bunch of us off? And you want me to buy this land? What's wrong with you? That's what Andy would have said. What's Jeremiah say? He says, I'll buy it. Why is he going to buy it? The text says, because God will once again, God will once again bless the people. And there will be houses built on this land. And there will be crops grown on this land. And God is not yet done with the people. That it might look bad. And there may be no sane reason to buy this land. But Jeremiah believes And what God is going to do there in their midst. And even though there's no sane reason to buy that field. He buys it anyway. Because he believes in what God's going to do. We started this commitment time, this vision for our facilities about four years ago. We started meeting together as a, as, a, as a needs assessment team and just looked at how our facilities are used. And I'd love for you to see a TikTok of how much our facilities are used and the number of times things have to be turned over. Uh, it just, it's amazing how many times things are turned over. And somebody asked recently, Andy, why are we keeping those tables out in the narthex right now? We're keeping them out in this commitment season so that you can see the amount of work that has to go in for our youth ministry. Our students' room is basically tucked away in the back corner. It's not big enough for their needs. Not big enough for the amount of students we have coming on Wednesday nights. So we put these tables out there every Wednesday. Those tables come out, those tables go up. They come out, they go up every Wednesday. And if you don't come on Wednesday nights, you wouldn't see that. So we want these tables out so that on Sunday mornings, when you come into here, you can see the amount of effort that it goes in to just having adequate space for our students. That's why they've been out this entire time, so that you can see that. Because as Ken said, we don't really have the adequate space that we need for our students, for our weekday, for our children, for intersection. We don't. And everything's flipped around so often. So we started, we started meeting about four years ago talking about this. Started, we, we, we prayed and we talked and we listened and we visioned and we talked to the district and everything's good and we're getting approval. We go to the church council. The church council says to keep going. We do all this stuff. Great. Everything's awesome. Everything's going in the right direction. And then we get ready to start the capital campaign portion. And it seems like we've taken gut punch after gut punch. We've had staff changes. We've had the normal internal stresses and and worries of church work. In the midst of all this, the Methodist church decides to set itself on fire. And I'll be very honest with you. I spent a lot of time praying. And I've cried a lot of tears. I said, Lord, it's not worth it. It'd be a lot easier to quit. It'd be a lot easier to just quietly put this away 
put it off to the side, and act like none of this ever happened. That would have been by far the easiest option. Frankly, it's kind of what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. Like, Lord, why are we even, you know? But he wouldn't let that passage out of my mind. He would not let that passage out of my mind. Yeah. Everybody thought Jeremiah had lost his dadgum mind. Because there he is buying a field. Right as Babylon's at the door. But he believed in what God was doing there. And what God was going to do. Yeah. Maybe I've lost my mind. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe all of us are crazy. But I believe in what God is doing here. And I believe in what God wants to do here. I believe in this church. I believe in the vision of this church. I believe in who this church is, who this church is going to be, and who this church is going to be in the future. I believe in what God's going to do in here, going to do here in this place right now and in the days to come. I don't care what people think. I don't care what people that think we're crazy. It doesn't matter. We're going to buy a field because we believe in what God is doing here in this place and what God is going to do in this place. I have seen lives changed here. I have seen students grow here. I have seen children grow here. I have seen college kids come back and give. I have seen this church send people after people to missionary efforts, to Honduras, to Madcap, to everywhere. I have seen how this church lives out the gospel. And yeah, maybe it'd be easy to give up on it. Maybe it'd be easy to walk away. Maybe it'd be easy to quit. But I'm going to buy a field because I believe in what we're doing here. I believe in who we are and what we can be and what we're going to be. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's a challenge. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I'm wrong. But I'm going to buy a field because I believe in what God's doing and what God wants to do. And what God will do here in this place together as his people. I got a text the other day from one of your former pastors. Bishop McAlilly texted me. He said, Andy, I know it's not much. For the next three years, Lynn and I want to commit this much to your building campaign. Because we believe in that church. We believe in what that church has done in the past. We believe what God's going to do in the days to come to St. Matthew's. Now here's the thing. This is not something that any one of us can do. There's no one person in this church that can fulfill this vision. But just like the doctor... Every punch matters. No one person can do it alone. No one family can do it alone. No group can do it alone. But together, together, 
with each of us doing our part. With each of us coming together to buy a field, we can do it. We can do this together as his people in this place, in this moment. I don't care that Babylon's out the door. I believe in what God wants to do. And I'm going to buy a field. I'm going to buy a field. Will you join me? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for what you have done in this place, oh God, and what you long to do in the days to come. God, we ask you now to give us grace to be obedient to you in all things. We love you so very much, and you are so good to us. God, help us to be obedient in all of our ways to your call. We love you. We ask in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.